Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Thursday, July 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Twitter is now suing Elon Musk, seeking to enforce the $44 billion deal he made to buy the company after he said he wanted out. Musk says the decision to drop out has to do with Twitter not providing him enough information to be able to verify how many accounts on the platform are fake. Sarah Needleman, tech reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for the complex metric this legal battle will be centered on. Next, California Governor Gavin Newsom took to Washington, D.C. while President Biden is out of the country on a trip to Israel in the Middle East. It seems that Newsom has been trying to raise his national profile on issues such as abortion, climate change, and guns, and even pushing back on his own party for not being strong enough on those issues. All that movement has sparked discussion on whether he has presidential ambitions. Hannah Knowles, campaign reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more. Finally, Americans are canceling home buying deals at the highest rate since the start of the pandemic. A new report from Redfin says 15% of deals are being canceled and even home builders are seeing cancellations. Inflation and higher mortgage rates are mostly to blame with some borrowers no longer qualifying for the loans they want. Diana Olick, Real estate correspondent at CNBC joins us for what to know. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. You've probably read about the the question as to whether the number of um, fake and spam users on the system is less than 5% as Twitter claims, um, which I think is probably not most people's experience uh, on when using Twitter. Joining us now is Sarah Needleman, tech reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Happy to be here. Well, let's talk about this ongoing saga between Twitter and Elon Musk. Elon Musk said he wanted to buy Twitter, then he said he wanted to back out. Now Twitter is suing Elon Musk to enforce the $44 billion deal. They filed suit in the Delaware Chancery Court on Tuesday. And, um, you know, Elon Musk says he wants to back out because Twitter hasn't given him enough information to verify how many accounts are fake accounts and bots and these spam accounts. Uh, Twitter says they've been bending over backwards to give him all of that. So, Sarah, what are we seeing in the latest on this? It's very much like you said. Twitter said uh, it provided Mr. Musk all the information that it's required or obligated to provide him under the terms of the deal. So the lawsuit says that's not grounds for termination. 
nor are among, uh, several other things that he has cited in his letter saying that he wanted to terminate the deal. For example, the, the gathering of financing, that's not an issue. Um, he also waived his due diligence on the deal. And uh, Twitter has said that he breached several parts of the contract for the deal, even just by tweeting, for example, that it was temporarily on hold and among other uh, grievances. And so it does look like Twitter may have a strong case here for those reasons. And a big part of this, obviously, right, is how many fake accounts, how many spam accounts or bots are out there. Twitter has said that they think it's less than 5%. Elon Musk and his people say it could be closer to 20%. But one of the things that data scientists say in all this is it's pretty hard to actually come up with a number. And I'm sure, as we know, everybody knows, right, you can skew a number to go a lot of different <laughs> ways. So, you know, one set of people is going to look at it one way, the other going to look at it a different way, and they're going to fight for what they can come to an agreement on there. But just tell me about some of the conversations you've had with some of these people on how difficult it is to come with that number. It is very difficult. I and mean, first of all, we're talking about a platform where there are hundreds of millions of tweets posted daily. And that's a really large volume. And then when you go about trying to analyze that data, first of all, there's really no way to come up with a precise number. Partly that's because there's no universal definition of what constitutes a spam. So you really need to, if two parties are disputing this topic, you really need to come to an agreement on what constitutes a spam. And then you have to think about the process for going through it and coming up with some sort of an estimate. I mean, there's good ways and bad ways to do it. But generally speaking, it takes time. You want to look at a large sample pool over time because things change. And, and behaviors change. And so if you look at just one specific week, for example, maybe there's a holiday that week or some sort of event happens, it, it skews the results. So many researchers have attempted to come up with this and there's never really been one that stood out to say, you know, we, we've got it and this is it, definitively it. Everyone comes up with an estimate. And Twitter has been very transparent about that. For years, it's said, this is an estimate. And they've disclosed that in their filings and according to the terms of the deal, Mr. Musk can't dispute anything that they put in their filings. So it's one of those tough issues. But generally speaking, you also have to keep in mind that many people who go on Twitter don't tweet. They just look at content. Right. Um, and so if you're depending what your baseline is for measuring spam and fake accounts, you need to take into consideration the fact that you can't base it just on tweets because some people may have, there may be fake accounts, but sure. they don't necessarily tweet, but they follow. Whatever it is. Yeah. And you so follow they, people, you use it for research, looking at other people's stuff. Twitter, for its part, to calculate how many users they have, they go by the average number of monetizable daily active users on its platform. They say that number is 229 million. So the fake accounts would be less than 5% of that. You know, they said that they provided Elon Musk with a lot of information. Some of that stuff, they can't provide everything, you know, multiple human reviews, private user data that they weren't giving Musk's people. So, you know, on that front of it, are they not doing their due diligence by providing some of that stuff? I mean, that's going to be the burden of proof that Elon Musk is going to have to give. And all of this stuff is being done in this uh, this court in Delaware, the Delaware Chancery Court. And Twitter, for their part, I mean, they have a big guy that's their lawyer who used to sit on that court. I mean, he's very familiar with how that court operates as well. 
you raised um, several good points in that when we talk about bots, there's so many factors to consider. And when you look at Twitter's process, it does, like you said, involve human review. So that's something you can't easily replicate. And if we're disputing how Twitter comes up with its number, and that is based on not just human review, but also private user data that it's not sharing with Mr. Musk, then it's very difficult to dispute their particular process or their results. And and then, as you said, the, the question becomes, okay, well, uh, did they provide him with enough information? And they did give him access to its so-called fire hose, which is basically near real-time tweets as they come in. And they gave him historic data, and they walked him through the process for coming up with its monetizable daily active user number, which is that 229 million figure. And so uh, this is what they said they've done, and that they've, as you said in the beginning, bent over backwards. It's not clear what other additional information they could provide. And when it comes to private user data, um, there are a number of laws that prevent companies from sharing that information. And bear in mind, this is a person who has already agreed not to share certain things, and yet he goes, on Twitter and publicly shares them. Right. So it's, it's a really tough position for Twitter to be in. Sarah Needleman, tech reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. We've got to wake up to what's going on, Supreme Court, and we've got to double down, quadruple down here in California and in blue states all across America. Joining us now is Hannah Knowles, campaign reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about California Governor Gavin Newsom right now. There's a lot of talk about him. You know, his profile is rising right now with uh, all these uh, rulings that we've seen recently from the Supreme Court and other actions, actions that he's taking in the state is are rising his profile. And, you know, he's in D.C. right now. We're seeing President Biden actually out on a trip to Israel in the Middle East. Gavin Newsom's in uh, in D.C. to talk to uh, Biden officials and uh, members of Congress about things on his legislative agenda, abortion rights, climate change and guns. And again, you know, like I said, there's always big speculation, you know, is Gavin Newsom gearing up to run for 2024? He says no, but, you know, the rumor mill still starts running. So, Hannah, you're actually at uh, one of the events that Governor Gavin Newsom was speaking at there in D.C. on Wednesday. So tell us a little bit about that and, and then the, the bigger picture. Yeah, so Newsom um, was here to accept an award on behalf of California from a national, like an interstate education group. And he um, gave a speech. He used that speech to hit points that I think he's really been hitting for, you know, months now, just denouncing conservative efforts to, you know, restrict what classrooms say about LGBTQ issues, um, restrict what they say about race. So he used this as a platform to talk about issues where he's really called for kind of a more forceful democratic response and has called for the leaders to really try and, um, you know, kind of define the opposition and and come out clearly um, denouncing these real policy victories that the GOP has made in so many states. You know, a lot of people in the Democratic Party are seeing President Biden, you know, slow walking some of it. They want more aggressive action. And then you enter Governor Gavin Newsom from California and he's trying to be forceful. He's trying to be loud about some of this stuff. And, uh, you know, we've seen sagging polls for President Biden, people saying, you know, they don't want him to run for reelection. But he's come out and said he's running for reelection. Uh, I think uh, Gavin Newsom today at the uh, at the event also said that he thinks that Joe Biden should run for re-election. But as I mentioned, kind of these are the conversations that keep swirling when things like this are happening. You know, one of his quotes was, the Democratic Party 
institutionally is not doing justice as it relates to being a counter-narrative and helping define the terms of an agenda that's organized and cohesive at all levels of government. And he said, just doesn't exist respectfully, I submit from my vantage point. So he's talking, yeah, he, he stresses that he is not trying to fault Biden or Nancy Pelosi, but really just feels like, you know, the Democratic Party writ large is not clearly meeting the moment and providing that effective counter-narrative right now. What's the sense that uh, people have of him in D.C.? You know, I think, uh, you know, just beyond D.C., talking kind of nationally, I've talked to a lot of Democrats who like what he's doing. A lot of other, you know, liberal leaders like kind of the message that he's given. And in particular, he's tried to kind of paint the Republican Party as anti-freedom, you know, when he talks about stuff like LGBTQ rights or voting rights and stuff. And so a lot of people think that that's kind of an effective overarching message for Democrats right now. Um, The other big issue, obviously, is abortion. At the same time, you know, there's some people who, you know, they wonder if some of the criticism of the party has been counterproductive. They feel like, you know, that shouldn't be the focus right now necessarily. And some people do see him as kind of laying the groundwork for a potential presidential run, despite whatever he says. And they don't necessarily see him as the best face for the party, right? I mean, maybe there's always this debate about is it better to kind of put forward someone with a bit more of a like moderate tone. You're mentioning that saying Republicans are anti-freedom. That's the message he took to an ad straight to Florida to tell, uh, you know, an ad running on Fox News, telling them, you know, that they're uh, taking your freedoms away and whatnot. DeSantis's message, too, is very much about freedom, and he's been at kind of the forefront of the Republican push against, like, coronavirus restrictions. And so, you know, what Gavin Newsom is doing and a lot of other Democrats are trying to do now um, is kind of repurpose that term freedom that's often been used against Democrats, and then they feel like that is a message that can resonate right now. Hannah Knowles, campaign reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mortgage lenders operate on a certain debt to income ratio. That is the amount of debt you're allowed to have compared to your income. And some people are no longer meeting that because of these higher rates and the amount of debt that that would ensue. Joining us now is Diana Olick. Real estate correspondent at CNBC. Thanks for joining us, Diana. Well, thanks for having me. Well, some interesting things happening in the home buying market. What we're seeing right now is Americans are canceling deals at the highest rate that they have since the start of the pandemic. So 
There's a new report out by Redfin that's saying about 15% of deals are being canceled right now. Home builders are also seeing some of this. And in part, a lot of this is due to high inflation and these higher mortgage rates that we're also seeing out there. So Diana, what are we seeing in this report? Well, you said it all really. It's that home buyers are really getting a little more skittish about the market right now. They're being hit hard by inflation. They're seeing these much higher mortgage rates. Rates are about double what they were at the start of this year. And also some of these home buyers are no longer qualifying for the loans that they thought they originally could get because mortgage lenders operate on a certain debt to income ratio. That is the amount of debt you're allowed to have compared to your income. And some people are no longer meeting that because of these higher rates and the amount of debt that that would ensue. So some are voluntarily saying, I just don't feel like I'm ready to buy this house anymore, like I might have one or two months ago. And others, if they're not qualifying for the mortgage, they have to break out of the deal. The cost of owning a a median priced home is 31.5% of the average US wage. So this is the highest since 2007. So 31% of your wages basically is what your home is costing a lot of people. Right. And 28% is usually the one that lenders go by. That is their ceiling in order to lend to you. Now, not everybody is using a mortgage to buy a home. Most people are, but not everyone. So if you're not, you're not under those circumstances. But again, this is most Americans' single largest investment. And when you're looking at the potential for the market slowing down, home prices potentially coming down, you don't want to catch a falling knife, right? You don't want to buy a home that's $400,000 today. And six months from now or a year from now, it might be worth 380 or 375. I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen in every market, but it could happen in some of the hottest markets now because we've just been on this red hot tear for the last two years, seeing prices go through the roof and some people just want to get out now. Also, you look at it as that may be how much you're paying for the home. But remember, with inflation, you're paying more for everything else, you know, whether it's going out to dinner or memberships or just everything you do on your day to day basis. So that's taking a bigger chunk out of your income as well. Throughout the pandemic, there was tons of these bidding wars. The competition was so high for any little property because the supply was so low and people are taking a step back. The competition's just not there. So it's allowing them even to back out of some of these things because they, they feel maybe they can find another deal or, or they have to find another deal, right? As you mentioned, some of them are falling out of these loans. Yeah. And some of them are also putting contingencies. Now, something we saw during the competition that you talk about in the last two years was that people were doing everything with no contingencies. That is no home inspection, no nothing, just some people buying homes sight unseen. Well, they're starting to put those contingencies back into the contract now. So if there's a crack in the foundation or a problem with the roof or something, they can use that to back out of the deal because they don't have to compete in these bidding wars anymore. Now, there is still a fair amount of competition in the market simply because that supply demand imbalance is still very bad. We still don't have enough homes for sale. It's getting slightly better, but not anywhere where it needs to be. I mean, the number of homes for sale is still about half of what it would be in a normal market. It used to be even less than that. So you are still seeing some competition. It's just not that bidding war on every house. If you were seeing 10 offers, now maybe you're seeing two or three. Tell me a little bit about the home builders, because they're also getting some cancellations. Are these people that have maybe bought you know, a plot of land and they're planning on building their home there? Are these the big developers that are losing on the contracts? What's the deal with this? 
Well, this is the numbers that we're seeing from the big production home builders. That's names like Lennar and D.R. Horton, KB Home, or some of those big names. And you see those in the earnings reports because they report their cancellation rates and they're starting to see those tick up. What that means generally is that either some people, again, are no longer qualifying for the mortgage that they needed. Remember, when you put a contract down on a new home, you don't pay for that home until they deliver it, until it's built. And a lot of people will sign something on a, on a home that's not built yet. That's how most of it is done for the big builders. So you can get out of the contract if you don't qualify for the mortgage. So you have a lot of folks like that and that's happening to them as well. Now for the big builders, that's a problem because they don't want to be stuck with a bunch of homes that they've built and nobody to buy them. I mean, that happened in a big way during the subprime mortgage crisis. It will not happen like that now. And I cannot stress that enough. (laughs) We are not in that kind of situation, but they will see slower sales and that's why you're seeing their stocks plummet, which basically everything is plummeting now, but the home builders are getting particularly hit hard in the stock market because of these headwinds that they're facing in the market, slower sales, higher cancellations. But again, there's not enough supply in the market. So it's not like the home builders aren't going to sell any homes. They will definitely sell homes. It's just going to be a little harder. The hardest is still yet to come with, uh, as you know, as inflation persists, as the Fed keeps raising interest rates, we're hearing that they're going to keep doing that more. And a lot of fears of a recession coming. So very complicated stuff still on the horizon, it seems like could be happening. Yeah, I mean, it's still it's not a great outlook for housing in general. But again, you have a growing population of millennials who are aging into their home buying years. You have the demographics showing that there's not enough housing supply to meet the demand. So it's going to be a question of can you get to more affordable levels of housing where people do want to get in and buy homes. Homeownership does in the long run build wealth. And so there is that demand there. And we're not looking at, again, any kind of crash like in subprime where there was a fundamental problem in the mortgage market. We don't have that now. We just have a slowdown. So we're just going to slow down to perhaps a more normal level after two years. I mean, look, it couldn't go like that was a freight train for two years going through the housing market. It couldn't last. And it is surprising how quickly it turned. But then again, that's again because of that quick jump in mortgage rates. So I think it'll settle back. I do not think we're going to see any kind of serious pain in the housing market like we saw a decade ago. Diana Olick, real estate correspondent at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.